millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Space. The final frontier. These are the podcasts of the, podcast of the Starship Failed Critics. It's five-year mission to explore strange new movies, to seek out new films and the occasional TV series, to boldly go where no pod has gone before. So join Captain James Tiberius Diamond, hey! <laughs> Medical Officer Jerry Bones McCauley, oh. Science Officer Owen Hughes, and me, Einstein <laughs> Steve Norman. It's podcasting, Jim, but not as we know it. Oh, that's classic. Join us. Why are I Spark? What? Why am I? Owen Hughes. Science Officer. Anyway, join us for our <laughs> Into Darkness <laughs> special. That's our Sony Award right there, though. That's my new ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've got that on 7-inch vinyl. Yeah. How could we do a Star Trek special without having Star Trek in by the firm? Quality. It isn't. It's it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) It's no no Will Smith, is it, really? Come on. Let's be honest. I'd love Will Smith to do a remake of it, to be honest. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> that's all we need to know. There we are. What an introduction. Um, <laughs> when did we start? You're out of breath, aren't you, Steve? <laughs> I don't know what, yeah, I've played two games of football tonight as well, so I'm definitely out of breath. <laughs> so I'm going to keel over at any minute. Um, right, shall we do some news? Yeah, I think. Have we got some news? You you had a whole host of news. I, I did have some bits of news, didn't I? But um, yeah, I will just say, uh, up on the site this week, we've got um, some nice bits about... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, we've got um, Matt Lamborn's 1983 Decade piece. That's gone up. That's a really nice piece. We've got another review uh, from Kate Diamond, my good wife, uh, on Les Mis, and her favourite bits. It's a very funny article. Uh, about her favourite bits because Les Mis was released on DVD this week as well uh, and I'm going to watch it for the fourth time at some point this week um, fourth? but actually yeah I've seen it three times I saw it three times in the cinema bloody hell yeah. yeah I did yeah I fucking did <laughs> to be fair I, I would happily watch it again I said this when the other came on the other day yeah I was like yeah I'll watch that again have, um, can can you hear the people sing stuck in my head a lot at the moment which is uh, it's getting there we're getting there um Big news this week. Uh, there's been some interesting trailers out. Um, Gravity, the new... Uh, how do you say his name? Jerry, you might know. He's Spanish. I'm just stereotyping it. Uh, the guy who did Children of Men, Alfredo... Oh, oh Alfonso Cuaron. Hey, that's him. Thank you. See, say say that off. again, Jerry. Say it again. Alfonso Cuaron. Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, his new film, Gravity, which stars George Clooney and Sandra Bullock, which is interesting casting, but... Um, you say uh, George Clooney as Sandra Bullock? 
That would be even <laughs> better. Be for, yeah. <laughs> there, if that's the case. Hey, yeah, I'll, George Clooney as that. Sandra Bullock um, in Miss Congeniality 3. I'm, I'm all over that. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's about uh, two astronauts who suddenly get stranded in space when an asteroid shower destroys their shuttle, I think it is. It looks incredible. It looks really kind of that limited sci-fi. Uh, reminds me a little bit of Moon in that sense. Very small cast, uh, very realistic science fiction. The trailer looks fantastic. So that that's currently up if you want to have a look at it. As is season four of Arrested Development. That trailer news. came out this yes. week as well. Uh, and as we do touch on TV, that is going. That uh, that is my TV event of this year. And the trailer for that is live now, and it's on the 26th of May that season four of Arrested Development start exclusively on Netflix. The other big news is that uh, is about kind of studios. Um, uh, Star Wars is going to be filmed in the UK, which is great news for the UK film industry, economy, and things like that. But at the same time, in the same week, there was an announcement from Pinewood, which said that they may well lose the Bond franchise, which is filmed there forever, um, unless, and it may be a little bit of politics or something here, but unless the council gives them backing to expand, because they say they're just at full capacity and they, they need to expand. So it's a, it's a tricky time for the UK film industry at the moment. Um, and it would be nice if we could actually support our... Uh, you know, something like Pinewood is a, only, is a national institution. There's only so many films we can make about gangsters. Yeah, yeah, and I think the plan is what we try and do is get everyone else to come over to Britain and make their films so that we've got more films that aren't about gangsters because they can be made anywhere, can't they? Let's be honest. Well, Sexy Beast was made in where was that? Was that actually in Spain? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Although, isn't part I've not seen it. Part of it's set in Spain, though, isn't it? Yeah, most of it, majority. Oh. Oh, that makes a bit of sense, I suppose. Good film. But, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, it's, um, is it Kingsley? Ben Kingsley is fantastic, yeah. isn't it? Really okay. just brilliant. I'll watch that. Yeah. Oh, because it's directed by Jonathan Glazer, isn't yeah. it, who did loads of Radiohead videos. <laughs> yeah, I've been meaning to watch it's, that for a little uh, while. Kingsley is just terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> oh, cool. I'll go search it out now. Thanks, guys. Uh, but, yeah, that's it for news, unless anyone else has got anything. Going back to trailers, we've also had a, a full trailer of the new... Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Edgar Wright film. Oh, yeah. At World's World's End has been released. Yes. Um, And it looks like more of the same stuff as Hot Fuzz and Shaun the Dead. So, Yes, I'm hoping... Am I the only one who was just a tiny bit underwhelmed by it? I was a bit... But then with a comedy like that, you know, this is a a trailer for general release that's going to be on telly Mm. and in films that are probably uh, age range below what this film will be. They obviously can't show the best bits, the funniest bits, because it probably involves material not suitable for people who might be watching it like on the telly. Uh, plus, yeah, no, I'd, I'd, plus, round comment here. I hate yeah. it when they show the best bits of a film in the trailer. Yes, oh, yeah, absolutely. Should, should yeah. save stuff. Yeah. So, fuck and it. My, yeah, and I hope, and what I hope is that's what's happening. My, my, like I say, my slight worry, and I've got it's not a huge worry because I think they're going to do a great job. I've got every confidence in them. My slight worry is that, like you say, the trend has been for trailers to put all their best jokes in, and I watched that and gone, if that's the best, then I'm slightly worried. But I'm sure it's not, and I'm sure it'd be absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I've got faith that they've decided to to resist doing that. Yeah. 
Yeah, they've just put in a few bits that are just going to appeal to some people. Yes, I'm sure. Uh, what I did like the return of the fence jump. Mm. That that was a nice. Yeah. Thing. If you go back and watch the trailers for like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, I'm sure they don't give away quite how funny they are as well. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's probably true, actually. I'm just too lazy to do that, Jerry. <laughs> Life's too short. Keep moving forward. It's all about progress, Jerry. To be fair, I'm not about to go back and watch trailers that came out years and years and years ago. Can someone else do it and then tweet us and tell us if it's true? That'd be great. <laughs> actually, you. can some bit of interactivity there? Can, can somebody just go and watch films and tell us what to tell people about them? Yeah, that would make our lives a lot easier. Yeah. Just do our job for us, but get no credit. Yeah, we might mention your Twitter handle. To be fair, yeah, we won't. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to let people see behind the curtain, do we? Oh no, no. Uh, It's quiz time. Ooh, exciting! Four one one, I believe. Yes, I believe it is. Yeah. See, when I'm winning, I fucking remember. (laughs) Uh, This week, uh, we'll start off with heaven. Uh, the Price of Milk, Ghost Ship, The Lore of the Rings, The Two Towers, The Chronicles of Riddick, The Born Supremacy, cool. Out of the Blue, uh, Jerry? Half, yes, Jerry? Total guess. Kate Blanchett? No. Damn. Pathfinder, Comanche Moon, uh, Owen, is it Carl uh, Urban? It is Carl Urban. Yes! Oh, oh, wait. oh I forgot who was in Bourne. Yeah. Oh, shit. Well played, he's though. like a sniper in Bourne or something like that. Yeah, he's in... He's yeah. In... He's, he's, he's one of the like hard men yeah. in Bourne Supremacy. Yeah, he's one of the guys who sent after him, isn't he? Yeah, that's it. Ah, oh, shit. Damn it, well played. Thank you very much. Not often that Owen... logical. <laughs> Uh, so I'd just like to put it out there my logic for that by the way was actresses who were in Lord of the Rings whose other films I don't really know anything about or give a shit about it's like, she's a bit of a knob right I deliberately left out uh, Return of the King to try and make it a bit more difficult to uh, a bit easier if I... I'd forgotten Carl Urban was in Lord of the Rings as well yeah so would I to be fair yeah. I didn't know at all I just knew Pathfinder and um, the... oh Owen knew all the films that I hadn't even yeah. heard of who is he in um, in Lord of the Rings, then? He's Aema. He's the son, or possibly nephew, oh, yeah. of the King Rohan. The mad old guy, yeah. Well, this has got well geeky. You know, Star Trek and Lord of the Rings chat in one pod. Yeah. We need, I know. Can we talk about tits and guns and something? No, let's talk about Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, Steve's on it today <laughs> with his misogyny. It's shocking. <laughs> When am I ever not? <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, so up next we have got what we've been watching. Make it so. 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 So what we have been watching this week... Um, I think I'll start off because it will lead into a discussion. It's probably worth just having a discussion on all the Star Trek films prior to the reboot. Because I've Not all of them. There's about 11. Well, okay. <laughs> the ones involving the original crew. Yes. Um, so it directly relates to the reboot. I watched 
The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Kind of limited to what we can say. Um, yes, The Wrath of Khan. We could talk about The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Let's talk about The Wrath of Khan. I'm always happy to talk about Wrath of Khan. It is many years since I've seen that film, so remind me, Steve. Well, The Wrath of Khan is... Uh, is it the second or third film? In it's the second. second it's film. Star Trek Two, yeah. And basically, in an episode of the original series, there is some genetically enhanced group of humans led by Khan, Noon and Singh who have gone off into space. Kirk discovers them and ends up exiling them onto a planet because they're not very nice people. And then in The Wrath of Khan, they end up getting rediscovered um, and are still not very nice people. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Make them cheer up a bit, you know. I I don't think they were so banished. I think from what I read... They they were exiled, but Kirk gave them... Uh, the opportunity to start their own life. Basically, uh, Singh ruled a third of the Earth during the ninety the nineteen nineties. That, that's what I love about it. Um, that I love it when science fiction catches up with itself, and you think oh, oh, we should have Hollywood by now. Yeah, exactly that kind of thing. And in the other, um, in the other one, it's not science fiction, but Lisa Simpson got married this year. Oh God, that makes me feel old. Shit, now. they're bad. Yeah. <laughs> Um, don't don't but, yeah. worry, Jerry. Gary Oldman's still Big Mo's brother. Thank God for that. Oh, the world. Can hold on to that. Um, yeah, basically, yeah, Khan in this film uh, is kind of crazy for revenge on Kirk because he blames Kirk for losing loads of his people by exiling him to this planet, which got knocked out of its orbit by another planet getting destroyed by a star or something. I can't remember exactly what Science happened there. Yeah, but basically it wasn't Kirk's fault, but if Kirk hadn't exiled them there, he wouldn't have lost most of his people and he's determined to take revenge. There's definitely a real kind of Moby Dick element going on here. And in fact, quite early on in Khan's quarters on the inhospitable planet, um, there's a few books there and one of the books he's got on his bookcase is Moby Dick and that's definitely a massive influence on this film. Sorry, is is this kind of... Was it written by an Englishman by any chance? Owen, you might know. <laughs> who, who, who writ Wrath of Khan? Who writ it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the perfectly prominent Dorset word is writ. <laughs> I can't remember his name. I'm looking at Was he English? Because, right, he, had, he ruled a third of the earth what in an empire, yeah. then he got taken away, left in an inhospitable location, feeling bitter at the world. Definitely an Englishman. Uh, quite possible. Uh, okay, so, so oh, there's a load of people involved in the story. Half Bennett's uh, half Bennett's from Chicago. Uh, oh, yeah, I might be a while here. You carry on talking about it. It's quite a good. It's quite a good analogy for Empire, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you think which, about which, it, which, um, Roddenberry was actually. Uh, he wanted Star Trek to talk about big themes like that. That was part of the reason that he created Star Trek was to talk about you know falls of empires, racism, Vietnam, that kind of thing. So yeah, I can, I can, I can definitely see that. Yeah, it sounds like a good. I, I, I mean, I never came across it in sort of when I studied post-colonialism, but this seems like a sort of a post-colonial film. If you know, if anybody's ever studied post-colonialism and. and they were all Americans involved with the story. There we go. Well, I have just confirmed that. Oh, maybe they were just taking the piss out of us then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so yeah, Steve, what did you think of it as a as a science fiction film then? It, it was good. It was entertaining. I think some of the acting performances were uh, traditionally hammy. As you're not having to go at Shatner, are you? <laughs> as original Star Trek goes. You better not be having to go at Shatner. Oh, doll. I find it endearing. Oh, is the hamminess. <laughs> I love Shatner's delivery. Oh, it's, it's just superb, yeah. From another it's, time. It's a bit at the end where he's saying about Spock being the most human. It's just the best delivery ever of any <laughs> It's like I think you're being harsh on Shatner. I love him. I, I think I think people when they try and do parodies now still can't reach the level that Shatner reached when he was doing the delivery. Do you know what I mean? When people... He's almost parodied, par- doing a parody of something that's not being invented while he's acting. Yeah, I mean, it's quite, he, the level he goes to, like, even when people do piss takes, you still can't get to quite how hammy Shatner is in Star Trek. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the great thing about it, because it, it, at times, it can be a ridiculous television programme and film series. But... He is straight as an arrow. He, when he is delivering that, he is, he's not taking the piss. And that's the thing that saves it, is the fact that he is deadly serious about his performance. And that's what, me, that's what means that you don't sit there like, just pissing yourself at it. I, 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 watch, I watch Shatner's James T. Kirk, and I, I'm, I'm enraptured by it. I, I love him. I genuinely love it. I think I, I love his delivery. I think his relationship with Leonard Nimoy's Spock is one of the great film and TV uh, on-screen chemistry uh, partnerships that I've ever seen. And Bones, I think Bones doesn't. And Bones as well, work. yeah. Him and Bones. Yeah. It's a. In fact, that's a, it's 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 actually a bit of a love triangle, a homoerotic love triangle you've got going on there. It's fantastic. You yeah. always seem to kind of hold it together but, but draw it out of the other two do you know what I mean Shatner's kind of the glue that holds the whole thing together isn't he yeah yeah. it just wouldn't be the same without him would it yeah I mean I know Chris Pine does a decent job in um, the newer films but mm. it's just he's not Shatner I'm afraid no but he does he does try and sort of take it he, he takes so much from Shatner's portrayal do you know what I mean he puts his own spin on it, but he still tries to take it to a slightly ridiculous level just to try and emulate it a bit, doesn't he? Well, we'll Def- probably talk about that later. Yeah. In the yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, what? Well, just very, very briefly, I would say I think he he moves more in that direction in the second film, but that we'll we'll talk about that later. So uh, what what I did love about um, Wrath of Khan because uh, I also rewatched it this week um, is that the the climactic kind of battle is played out just really quite slow paced almost like Das Boot or something it's in, in fact I've, I've seen somewhere that someone said you could pretty much remake Wrath of Khan as a submarine film and it really does work really nicely and I love the tension that that kind of that last battle plays out at yeah I mean Nicholas Mayer says himself that it, you know once he figured out that actually it's not this heroic adventure film you know Star Trek is about it's it's a naval fleet you know mm. they're just in space once he that sort of clicked with him he knew exactly what kind of film he had to make and that's why you know it does feel like a, a, just a, a war film but with yeah. this, this supernatural sci-fi element to it um, but I, I think, think the, that's, the, that's kind of the key to Star Trek though isn't it is it yeah. is like a war film and it's very human but yet transported into this mm. strange environment do you know what I mean mm. yeah mm. 
definitely. Um, but I think and what, the, be- the best thing about Star Trek Two, though, it's I think it, as good as Khan is, I think as brilliant as a character as Khan is, the best thing has got to be the Genesis project. I think the, the mm. concept of that is what holds that film. Yeah, and again, it's that's brilliant sci-fi writing. It is, yeah. Uh, that is, yeah. and you can laugh at some of the effects in the film, and in some cases, rightfully so. And it is quite interesting that apparently the first film only just made enough money to even get a sequel made and they had to massively slash the budget and so loads of props and effects got reused from the original film um that's a big reason as to why khan and uh kirk never really never meet face to face is because you know budgetary requirements meant they had to film that climactic uh sequence as they did and that worked out brilliantly Mm. um but at the heart of it is a brilliant science fiction plot, and and that you cannot take that away from the film. And I love the fact that uh, Ricardo Montalban was sixty, and that's his real chest. Yeah, what a dude! <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a great actor anyway. I think yeah. I like him in Planet of the Apes. He's definitely impressive as a villain. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's a great villain. Yeah, I mean, some actors get their roles when they're quite young, don't they? Their, their key roles, and some have to yeah. wait a bit longer. I think he definitely found his later in his life. Yeah. That's what he's remembered for. And rightly so, because he's, he's great in it. Mm. In terms of ranking the Star Trek films, where would you put it? That's the best one, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, heard, I've only seen three, and that's probably the best of the three. I did quite like. I always get confused. Which there was one with the Next Generation crew that I did really like. Is it First um, Contact, the first one with Morgan? I think it was. Yeah, that yeah, that's awesome. That, yeah, I've seen, that's I've, a really good one. I've seen the one where Picard meets Shatner and Shatner dies. Generation. Yeah, that's a bit rub. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit poor. Because there's a rule of thumb, isn't there, that the even numbered ones are generally the better yeah. ones. Um, although I'm not sure that plays out with um, the Voyage Home. Well, I, wa- I watched the first four films this week as well as Into yeah. Darkness and the first film is just so boring yeah it's just just so boring completely it's like it's like one of the bad it's like an extended mid-season TV episode it is yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah without the fun of a Star Trek yeah. episode it is so serious um, we, but then you know you've got Star Trek 2 which follows it which is by far and away the best of the, of the long mm. Star, uh, Star Trek Four is good. I, it's kind of so bad it's good. It, they go yeah. into, they go back in time to try and get some humpback whales to take back with them to the future, so they <laughs> communicate with this giant rod that's destroying the Earth. Um, <laughs> funnily enough, yeah, directed by Leonard Nimoy, it's a bit hip- yeah, seeing Spock and Kirk in 1980s San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, going to see the whales. Bizarre. It's just so weird, but it's it's good fun. It's very funny. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, Star Trek 2, definitely, easily the best, I think. Okay, um, more on Star Trek later, obviously. Uh, Jerry, what have you watched this week? Um, well, what I want to talk about is a film called Love and Other Drugs, which is from 2010. Uh, directed by Edward Z- Zwick, sorry, who is recently, I'm trying to think, recent films that he's done are Defiance and Blood Diamond. Which okay. particularly Blood Diamond was was well received. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did the Last Samurai as well, oh. and 
all those are kind of action-y, war-y films. <laughs> um, back in the day, he did Legends of the Fall as well. Okay, yeah. This is probably closer to Legends of the Fall. Mm. In that it's a bit, you know, it's a romantic film. Um, I found Legends of the Fall quite overblown and cheesy, shall we say? But this is, was, that, is that the one with Brad, Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt and Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all sort of um, turn of the century American stuff. Mm. It's a bit gone with the windish, very melodramatic kind of thing. Well received, but it was a bit too much for me. But this was actually, uh, it's Jake Gyllenhaal uh, plays a Pfizer sales rep uh, in 1996, I think it's set, and he meets Anne Hathaway, who is only 26 but has Parkinson's. And during this time, Viagra comes out, so he starts selling Viagra as well. Uh, he's kind of the backdrop for it. Um, it's really it, 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 it was a surprisingly good film actually because you know Gyllenhaal and Hathaway carry it basically this film is about those two mm. there's there's the odd other person who comes in who I couldn't even tell you the names apart from Hank Azaria who plays a doctor um, he's, he's not as good as he is in The Simpsons but he's alright but generally this this is about the two the two leading stars and both of them do pretty pretty damn well. Jake Gyllenhaal, by the way, is one of the most attractive men ever. What the fuck is up with that? <laughs> you literally spend this film watching him going, you bastard, on my best day, I will never look as good as you do on my, on your worst day. He is, he is yeah, annoyingly good looking in this film. Um, and he plays, he, you know, he, he kind of oozes sex appeal. He sleeps around, you know, he's a bit of a shit, but he's, you know, he, he's kind of a lovable rogue. Um, and he, he sort of, you know, in the classic romantic comedy way, he goes sort of on the straight and narrow and, and falls for Anne Hathaway. Do you know what I mean? She's kind of the girl who mm -hmm. finally makes him love and all this kind of stuff. So there is the kind of classic stuff, but it was well done. Uh, the stuff with, to do with Parkinson's, I thought, was very sensitively handled. And the whole thing about the illness and everything was... It was it was well managed. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't mm -hmm. tacky, cheesy, sentimental. It was It was quite realistic. It was quite nice. It wasn't overdone or rubbing your face too much. It was, you know, it was still about two people at the end of the day, and the illness was a, a factor in that. But they didn't make it into some kind of, oh, sob story kind of thing. Mm -hmm. They they sort of played up her normality more than they played up her illness, and then the illness sort of comes in in tiny bits, and that's that's what makes it more affecting actually, is because you see her in this as this sort of normal. You know, life-loving young woman, and there's, there's little bits where she, you know she has tremors or whatever. Um, I, has anyone else seen it? Nope, not really. No, I mean James will like it. It's a romantic comedy, and it's <laughs> under two hours, so it's it's ticking the boxes there. How many, how many times will cry? Uh, how many times will James cry? Yeah, yeah. I think mm, twice, maybe. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm in that. Yeah. I'm saying twice. It picks up as well. I think the start started all right, and then it kind of builds momentum as you, you suddenly you sort of don't realise quite how well they're developing the characters and how they're fleshing them out. Uh, also, you'll all love it because it features Anne Hathaway's tits quite a lot. I don't know. I don't know what you mean by that, Jerry. I'm shocked. It's, it's, I was playing up the Jay Gyllenhaal element earlier. But yeah. <laughs> And Hathaway gets naked a lot in this. 
I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to complain if that happens. Put it that way. There's quite a lot of sex in it. There's a, a brilliant scene where she like goes when you first meet her. You you see a tit basically. Is <laughs> the best way to describe it. Yeah, you can give us a minute by minute breakdown. <laughs> so I can get forward to those. <laughs> No, it's it's well worth a watch. I mean, the the two of them turned in some good performances. It, it's yeah. it's from two thousand and ten. It's not really any surprise when you watch this. And this is Anne Hathaway sort of developing her range as she has been doing for the past few years. And I think if you look sort of from where she was in the Delaware's Prada, which was mm. about four years before this, and then where she ends up with Les Mis, this is a, a definite yeah. step on that path. If you know okay. what I mean. And she's very good in this, and Jake Gyllenhaal's very good in it. So yeah, it's worth watching. It's decent. It's better than that before sunrise shite. Anyway, put it that way. Oh dear. <sighs> it still annoys me, that film. It still annoys me. I saw a trailer for Before Midnight this week and got really excited. Oh God. <laughs> Just, oh, no. Nothing, I'm trying to, I keep trying to think of redeeming features of that film. The only redeeming feature is it's in quite a nice city. That's about it. We'll never agree on that, will we, no. Jerry? But never mind. But Love and Other Drugs, worth a watch. Uh, if you've got... <laughs> without wanting to generalise too much, if you've got to watch a film that is couple-friendly, shall we say, i.e. you need to watch a film that your missus won't kick off about, it's it's better than most that you'll you'll sit through. OK. Um, Owen, what have you watched? Uh, I watched a film I know James is dying to talk about this because he's mentioned it a few times on the podcast I know it was one of his favourite films from last year um, and I, yeah I kind of have to agree it was one of the best films from last year Barbarian Stone Studio Yeah, it's really good um, everyone who sort of recommended it to me though said how, how great it was so I did have quite high expectations going in and yeah I'm, I'm really pleased it lived up to them um, for those who don't know what it's about it's set in the 1970s follows um, Toby Jones as a sound recordist for films. If sound recordist is the right term. I'm not sure what his job title is. Is it Foley artist? Fo- Foley that... artist. Yeah, I think that's right. He makes all the... Again, listeners, yeah. tweet us. Sound, <laughs> sound recorder. No. Yeah, sound recorder. Um, he uh, uh, basically is the guy who does all the sound effects for films um, and messes with the, the volume of stuff. Uh, obviously more technical than I've made it sound, but that's what that's what the film follows. Anyway, um, and he's in Italy, and they're making a giallo, and it's really good. I mean, what what I really liked about the film, you don't actually see the film that they're making. Um, or you the equestrian vortex. The equestrian vortex. Yes, this giallo <laughs> film about some kind of witch, uh, historical witch thingy. I don't know what it is, but. It's it's a, basically a horror, but you can't call it a horror. You're told not to call it a horror. A horror. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it's um, it, yeah. The great thing about it is you don't see that. You don't see any images whatsoever from that. All you see is the sort of behind the scenes of how they're recording it. Um, and there's obviously a plot that ties into that around Toby Jones and um, without trying to go into detail, the, the film it's sort of follows three parts. You know, traditional three parts. You've got the beginning, which is Introducing him, introducing the characters and what he's going to do. The middle is the best bit by far, which is mm-hmm. all the detail that you could hope for to, to see in a film like this. It's just everything from little sounds to every individual word that's spoken. I have never heard a film 
quite like it. I know when James mm. recommended it, he said to watch it on your laptop with your headphones in. I, I cannot agree more with that. It's it's one of those films you've just got to not listen to anything else. Just focus solely on that and, and, and you'll enjoy it. Um, but, I mean, the, the plot is where it falls down a little bit. And in the final part of the film is... that's I, I didn't quite enjoy that so much. Mm. Um, it, it's a bit Lynchian. Yeah, it goes a, a bit not, too... And not, not great Lynchian. Now, I, I kind of... I'll be honest, even when I watched it, I, I kind of forgave the final 20 minutes rather mm. than mm. hugely enjoyed them. Yeah. It's, you've got to do that to, to get anything out of the film, I think, because you, what, you're, what you're doing is watching it for... Uh, well, for, to listen to it, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not taking anything away from the, the performances either. I think Toby Jones were just brilliant. Um, just fantastic in this all the way mm. through. Uh, even through the story bit, which I wasn't so keen on t- towards the end, he he's just great, just really fantastic performance. If I'd have seen it last year, it probably would have made my list of um, for our Fail Critics Awards because he's, mm. he's just great. Um, but yeah, the mystery stuff kind of it's not so good. But it's yeah, it's still definitely definitely worth a watch. I I got it on Blinkbox. I think they put it on one of their movie Mondays. So I've I've got it for ninety nine. I think I've got a few more days to watch yeah, it again. A couple more days yeah, left if you bought it. It's You've got to get round to it if you've not seen it. And yeah. I, I would probably watch it again if I had time. Um, it's got a great soundtrack by Broadcast as well. Yes. Um, yeah. Whose lead singer sadly died. I think it was last year. Oh actually, really? Pop- oh. Yeah. Um, so the the lead sing- the female lead singer and kind of co-writer of the songs, she died just after they finished recording the soundtrack. Mm. Um, so it's the last thing they've ever done. I've got the soundtrack. It's absolutely fantastic as well. Yeah. And again, it just brings in snippets of the film and the soundtrack itself is just a great thing to listen it is. to because it is uh you you've got oh one of my favorite bits about it there's a there's a horny goblin or something isn't there it's just one of my favorite <laughs> bits of the entire film yeah. but it there's just so many you, you're right it's a love letter to sound in yeah. a film and it's it is. It's worth watching purely for that yeah. because it's such a great technical exercise. And and it's a love letter to Giallo's as well. I think mm, yeah, because yeah. the, the way the film mimics it, you know, mimics Giallo's. Mm. If you don't, if you're not that familiar with the Giallo, it's an old seventies Italian films for a period. They were making very pulpy films, and Giallo means yellow in Italian because that was the cover of the books that all these sort of fil- uh, films were based on. But they're basically murder mysteries. You don't see the killer until the end. It's always very samey. It's always you only see like uh, the knife or the coat mm. that the person's wearing, or that you know they're wearing a mask or a hat or whatever. You don't actually see that. So to to copy that across to the film, where you don't actually see the equestrian vortex or, or whatever mm. it's called, is brilliant. I think that is really a nice touch. I think that's again it, it just shows that the, he loves the film that he's. Mm. He's creating the same for um, uh, the director Peter Strickland. I think it, yeah. it, it get, it's got a lot of heart in it. This film, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was, it's a really good recommendation. So I was really pleased with that one. So thank you very much, James. Oh, <laughs> okay, so James. What have you watched this week? Uh, this week I watched. Uh, I've watched quite a few films, but um, I just want to. I ended up watching two films basically about flying uh, or you know certainly with flying and being on airplanes big part of the premise very very quickly I just want to say I watched Up in the Air um, which is uh, directed by Jason Reitman stars George Clooney as an executive who travels the states firing people 
um, and then he starts to learn to not want to be alone. Um, really nice film, great performance from George as well as Anna Kendrick, Verma Formiga, and uh, Jason Bateman. So I'd highly recommend that. What you I know, wouldn't I've, I've seen that by the way, and I've oh. completely forgotten it. Oh really? <laughs> okay. That's not a great recommendation. Is no, it? <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Maybe, maybe it's um, maybe it's I'm a bit older and a bit more jaded. Maybe that's what. Maybe that's why it kind well, of. No, I, just, I can't really it. remember much about it. Do you know what I mean? It seems to be one of those that hasn't stuck in my memory. Well, that's fair enough. It's weird. Yeah. Okay. Well, I liked it anyway. <laughs> um, but one film I didn't like um, is the 19th film from Spanish author. Jerry cinematic crush Pedro Almodovar now hey, careful, I am careful saying my cinematic crush yeah, okay. not in that way well, not in, in that, not in well, that well, way no, that's Jake Gyllenhaal isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, he, yeah he's no Jake um, <coughs> definitely not if you've seen Jerry can you way. say this man's name properly for us Pedro Almodovar there we are Almodovar is that is that where the the stress should be Almodovar rather than Almodovar? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, him Pedro. Uh, I'm, I'm happy calling him Pedro. Um, yeah, I'm a little ashamed to say this is the first and only Pedro film uh, that I've seen. I am going to put that right uh, over the coming weeks. That said, um, if if Jerry and also uh, one of our listeners at Duke on Twitter weren't so insistent, I explore his films further. And if I didn't trust their judgment so much, I'm not sure I would bother to watch any more of these films after seeing this. It, oh, okay, I, I was already wary of it after seeing the trailer, and me and Owen had had a chat about the trailer, which made Ted, which made the Ted trailer look like it was written by a combination of, I don't know, the Goons, Monty Python, and Chris Morris. So it was, it was, it screamed generic Euro sex comedy. I think that was what Owen said to me. Um, and, and to be honest, I hope that the kind of the gay camp stereotypes and bawdy humour that looked like it was pitched at the audience of Mrs. Brown Boys or something like that. I, I hoped it was a marketing ruse to get UK audiences through the door to to see uh, a, you know, a foreign comedy by an auteur of cinema. Um, I was wrong. And I'm, oh. OK, basic premises. Flight 2549 has serious problems with its landing gear and is circling above Spain waiting for a runway to become clear so they can perform an emergency crash landing. The coach-class passengers have been drugged to sleep on the captain's orders. How is never explained. Okay, you've got an entire plane full of people who have been drugged, and it's kind of just like, yeah, just accept it. Um, There's a handful of business-class passengers, and as the plane is circling, they discuss their secrets uh, as they get increasingly wasted on alcohol and drugs. Okay. Firstly, this is meant to be a comedy, and I know it's meant to be a kind of step back to um, Almodovar's roots. I know he started off with quite kind of farcical comedies. Um, I may have smirked twice during the film, and that's not good. Maybe some of the humour doesn't translate very well, I don't know. But he never did. When you say he did farcical comedies, okay. there, were, there was still a lot, of, a lot of reality in them, shall we say. Okay. Farcical okay. elements. Okay, there felt like there was no reality. There's a sign that comes up at the beginning that says, um, this is complete fantasy. Um, yeah, he always has little inscriptions and stuff. Okay. Uh, um, sometimes after, sometimes both. 
Right, now my, my problem here is the characters are not only completely unbelievable, two-dimensional stereotypes, but they don't even act in a way that's uh, anything like bordering on rational. Um, and what I've, to me, unbelievable people doing unlikely things in an impossible situation... That there's no comedy to be had there. For me, I think it even needs to be ground. It needs to be grounded in some realism somewhere. So you can have unlikely characters, but in a real situation, and I think that you can get great comedy from that. Or real characters in an unlikely situation. Get, but this tries to be some kind of weird sex-driven fantasy world. Um, it's kind of like Readers' Wives, written by Hunter S. Thompson. But actually, that would be more interesting. That I'd, I'd, I'd more likely go and see that. Biggest problem is actually the bizarre and outdated attitudes to sex and sexuality. And it's something I didn't expect. I've read interviews with um, uh, Almodovar. I, I really didn't expect the level of crass, camp gay stereotypes that I got that felt like they were in an ITV sitcom in the 1980s. Yeah. Was it, it just was it meant to be subversive? Do you think? Was he trying to I, sort of highlight this? The past stuff is very subversive. I, I I thought that. I thought, okay, maybe this is meant to be subversive. Then there's a four-minute section where three camp cabin crew just lip sync, uh, lip sync, and dance their way through the entire Pointer Sisters. I'm so excited. He used to be in a sort of a troupe. I can't remember the name of them. Okay. They, they were they were dressing women's clothing and like sing and dance and stuff. Okay. In the eighties, he was on TV a lot, but at the same time, he also did a stage show where he walked on stage and crapped and walked off again. That was his show. So he he has the full spectrum. Yeah. No. No. I I, I get so that. Whether what, this is kind that, of trying to do that and misses the point. I think I think that must be it because I can't imagine that he genuinely thinks this is how gay people are in real life. Okay. I can't imagine because he seems like a. A, an intelligent and sensitive person um, and so I don't know quite how badly it, my big issue yeah, they, one of the issues I did have is they can talk quite explicitly about sex in this film and everyone does um, but it's still the kind of same brand of inoffensive camp gender stereotyping you get where you don't actually it's kind of like if he really wanted to shock and be subversive there would be some gay sex in this film. I'm not saying that's... I'm not saying, God, I wish this film had loads more gay sex in it. You do, but, though, don't you? I do, yeah. <laughs> um, but I had this same problem with Rock of Ages as well, actually. It's like, they don't dare actually... They want to be subversive. Don't, they don't shout two men kissing. Why not? You know, that... If that's because what they do show is a really creepy rape scene where a clairvoyant... Uh, middle-aged woman who's a clairvoyant and is also a virgin um, basically has sex with one of the sleeping men in coach class. Okay, so she rapes a man, essentially. And I, I was watching it thinking this is I, this is really creeping me out because if the genders were reversed in this, it would be what a horrific scene from a film and would be no le- need for laughter. And the fact that it's a woman doing it, and it's she's doing it in the climax to the point of sisters. I'm so excited. It just it just felt wrong. It just felt really, really quite nasty. Um, yeah, I, to be honest, I, I was re- I went along. Luckily, I went to watch it in the uh, Electric Cinema in Birmingham, and uh, I got vouchers, so I got to sit on a sofa and have booze and ice cream delivered to me. Uh, 
uh, just before the film started. It's a lovely experience, but uh, I've now been to that cinema twice and seen Beast and Southern Wild and this. Uh, I, I think I'm jinxed. <laughs> I just really, really did not like this film. The more I think about it, the more I can't stand it. Uh, and I'm shocked because I expected to maybe be bored. You know, not expected, but I thought, okay, someone who has such a great reputation. And again, I spoke to at Duke about this, and he said that Pedro, Alfred Hitchcock, and Woody Allen are his three favourite films. And this is probably the worst film, apart from Woody Allen's September, um, that any of those three directors have made. That's yeah, he's a big Almodovar fan, and he didn't like it at all either. So. I, I, at least I, I, I was glad I got to speak to him about it because it made me think, oh, at least I'm not, this isn't the usual thing and maybe I'm just not getting something. It's just a, it's just a bad film. I mean, he's, he's definitely on a downward trajectory. I think right. in the last sort of 10 years since Talk to Her came out, mm. there's only Volver that really reaches the heights. So there's a bit of that, you know, he, he, he's definitely had his peak I think and the skin I live in was good but not quite at the level uh, Broken Embraces was, was or it was pretty good but not not near the level Bovair was is, is actually up there with his best stuff but otherwise you know it's, it's very much a do you know I got the impression that maybe him and the crew just had a lot of fun making this film um, yeah I mean maybe he's just quite often those films are the ones that, if you can see them having fun on screen, you're probably not having fun in the cinema. And that's how it came across. It just felt like loads of the dialogue, and it just felt like maybe they made it up as they were going along. It, just, it didn't feel tight. The story was bad. Low, nothing made sense. No one did anything believable. I, I, just, I, I kept trying to give it a go and I wanted something to hang on to that was good. Even the direction felt really quite lacklustre, to be honest. You know, if you've confined yourself pretty much to the inside of a plane cabin, that you've not really given yourself much to go in terms of stylistic direction as well. And so it was just... No, I mean, I think the stuff with sort of the, the, the gay singing kind of thing, it's a very old Spanish trope. Uh, mm. They call them uh, chistes de mariquitas, which basically means like silly little faggot jokes, right? That's well, so okay. I can des- describe it. Yeah. And it was kind of, you know, back in the the dark times of the dictatorship, shall we say, where yeah. society was much more closed. You know, it was okay. let's laugh at the silly gay people. And I think Almodovar emerged from that and was one of the people who was key in really flaunting the gayness and, and turning all that on its head in the 80s. Uh, there was a, a cultural movement called La Movida, which he was he was at the the sort of mm. forefront of, and it's interesting that he's reverted to that now. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not in any way confident as to to try and guess why he would do that. Mm. I've read reviews in Spanish papers and stuff that are also saying, look, no one no one really knows why he's done that, mm. you know, and and no one's going to try and guess because he is very a very complex and, and sort of strange yeah. man. But this just seems like, by the, all the reviews I've read and from what you've said, it sounds like a complete misstep. But if anybody watches this like you, the first hour of our film they've seen, go right back. Don't you know? Don't yeah. judge him by this. Go right back. No. I mean, even I think the first the first great film he makes is um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. 
Mm. Um, but all about my mother is, is like I think it's the most successful Spanish film of all time. Yeah. Um, I think Bad Education and Talk to Her are probably his best films. But things like Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, um, Skin I Live In is, is a more recent one, which is pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to go back. The uh, Live Flesh is, is pretty decent. There's a lot of, of, of really great old films, but he's he's made, I would say, three truly great towering achievement films and a lot of good films. But he's also made a lot of shit films as well. Okay, and do you know what, Jerry? I'll, for you, I'll give him a chance. Oh, <laughs> okay. I think that's all for um, what we've been watching. So we'll be up next with a review of Star Trek Into Darkness. So, for this week's main review, we went to see the second film in the reboot of the Star Trek franchise, Star Trek Into Darkness. Where Although, there's no colon there, so it should yeah. just be Star Trek Into Darkness. There's no punctuation. <laughs> no. J.J. <laughs> Abrams says so. <laughs> but is, is Into Darkness on a second line when it comes up? No, no. Oh, it's, it's a weird play on words that I still don't quite get. So we're, we're star, so basically we're Star Trekking into the darkness of space. Yes, we're yes. We're literally space. trekking into darkness. Yes. It's, it's a whole <laughs> sentence. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's clunky. Yes. It's the worst thing he's done with his franchise, and I think we can... <laughs> <laughs> As long as he doesn't start doing it with Star Wars as, uh, as well, because that would just... Yeah, exactly. Just imagine, Star Wars needs to have punctuation in its titles, otherwise... It's got numbers, so it's got to, really. Yeah, the world runs amok, otherwise. Mm. Uh, anyway, yeah, so the crew of the Enterprise is back, um, led by Chris Pine's version of Captain James Tiberius Kirk, as they face a new enemy. Uh, and here's a clip... The heat's frying as comms, but we still have contact. Spark! I have activated the device, Captain. When the countdown is complete, the reaction should render the volcano inert. Yeah, and that's gonna render him inert. Should we have use of the transporters? Negative, sir. Not with these magnetic fields. I need to beam Spark back to the ship. Give me one way to do it. Uh, maybe if we had a direct line of sight... If we Hold on, wee man. You're talking about an active volcano, sir. If that thing erupts, I can't guarantee we can withstand the heat. I don't know that we can maintain that kind of altitude. Our shuttle was concealed by the ash cloud, but the Enterprise is too large. If utilized in a rescue effort, it would be revealed to the indigenous species. Spark, nobody knows the rules better than you, but there has got to be an exception. None. Such action violates the prime directive. Shut up, Spock. We're trying to save you, damn it. Doctor, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Spock, we're talking about your life! The rule cannot be broken under any Spock! Try to get him back online. 90 seconds to detonations. Spock were here and I were there. What would he do? He'd let you die. So that clip there is uh it actually is quite near the beginning of the film. Um 
Spock is trapped down uh, a volcano in a distant civilization, and the crew are working out if and how they can save him without revealing themselves and breaking the prime directive. So it's a really, really interesting clip of the film. Uh, I, I like the clip because basically every bit of the cast gets a chance to to do their little impression as well, uh, and it does sum up sum up quite a lot of the film. And what I would say is, a lot, I, think, I know a lot of people have seen will have seen the first ten minutes, uh, ten minutes-ish or seven minutes, I can't remember, um, before The Hobbit last year. Um, the opening of the film, I think, is one of my favourite bits of the film. I, I, I really, really like this this kind of cold open, and it felt really, really Star Trekky to me. I, I don't know about you two guys, I don't know what your um, relationship with Star Trek is, actually. Virtually non-existent. <laughs> yeah. We should probably point out here that... Um, Jerry's not with us because Jerry's not actually managed to see the film yet as well. Yeah, yeah I've, I've not really seen They've any started. Star Trek bar the first film in the reboot and, okay. and it being referenced in every TV program yes. ever. Yeah. Um, I, I, I grew up watching a bit of um, Next Generation. That was kind of the Star Next Trek. Next Gen was mine as yeah, well. That's yeah, that's what I grew up watching. But I have been re-watching the um, TV series, the original TV series recently, which has started showing on the Horror Channel. So I'm actually quite excited about that, sadly. No. <laughs> to watch the original. I, I, I think every every series now is on Netflix, some version of Netflix, other than mm. that one with the man from Quantum Leap in it. Uh, oh, Enterprise. yes. Enterprise, yeah, the most recent one, yeah. Is that the most recent one, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, some kind of prequel one, isn't it? Or something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. It'd probably better off watching Quantum Leap. Yeah, po- quite possibly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've all got differing views of Star Trek. Yeah, I, I, I grew up on Next Gen. I remember watching some original series when it used to be shown on mm. BBC Two at weird times and stuff like that. And I've seen most of the films as well. Some good, some some not so good. Um, what I do like about well, well, what I what I thought about the first J.J. Abrams version is that it was a good, solid action reboot, um, but that it still felt a little bit TV. Uh, Mark, it the, still the, felt like a the prob- like a. Sorry, Steve. So the problem with that one for him is that because it's so long after even the last film that was made mm. involving that crew of the Enterprise that he's got to reintroduce all these characters. And there's probably... All right, Kirk and Spock are the main ones, but there's probably mm. six, seven characters he's got to introduce to the audience, who a lot of them won't have seen Star Trek. Yeah. Or and, and I think he did a good job with that, <coughs> to be honest. It's, it is a difficult job to <coughs> kind of unite fans of the original series um, and new people who just want to go and see a summer blockbuster. And I think he did do a good job. I, th- I think some of the um, the problems and the challenges he faces, actually, is I, I personally think a lot of the characterisation, a lot of the themes of Star Trek actually fit into a TV series better than they fit into um, motion pictures. But, yeah, you know, uh, I would say I, I enjoyed the first one. Um, I think with both of these films, he's appeased the Trekkies. They seem to be... To an extent, they yeah, to a certain extent, that's they, right. They seem, they seem to be reasonably happy with what he's doing. They don't seem to be he, offended by it. He's not pulled a Phantom Menace. No. Okay, yeah, let, 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 let's be straight there, you know, if, if we're going to compare um, trilogies and things like that. But, uh, 
no, yeah, he has appeased them to a certain extent. And what I do think, actually, is one of the things that, um, especially this film, does right is that the characters, the, the actors playing the characters do a really good job of, um, you know, they, they do a great job of portraying their characters and they are now very believable. Um, I think Chris Pine in this new film is less of a bratty teenager mm. than he was in the first one. He, he's growing into James Tiberius Kirk now. He's far more recognisable as Kirk. But I think that he came out and said during the first film he wanted to play as if he was playing the written character of Kirk, mm. didn't he? He didn't want to be yeah. Shatner. He wanted to yeah. distance himself from being just compared to Shatner. Yeah. Whereas Which in this... is sensible. Yeah, it's sensible <laughs> in some respects. In this, though, I think he's gotten a lot closer to Shatner's Kirk yeah. than how he was in the original. Yeah. He stayed away from some of the mannerisms and speech patterns, mm. but the character he brings across, yeah, definitely feels like a young kind of William Shatner version of Kirk and I think that's great um, Simon Pegg essentially playing himself let's be honest he's, with a Scottish accent he's got a bigger role in this he has got a bigger role in this J.J. Abrams is a big fan of his as well um, and he was but very, he gets away with he it he was very funny I think yeah it, exactly you know, he does get away because with it. he genuinely was quite funny in it yeah, yeah exactly he's one of the few that isn't kind of um, acting that, mm. you know, he, I think his is the most different in a way Probably because the original was such a two-dimensional stereotype as well. Yeah, there wasn't a huge amount of characterization, characterization with the original Scotty, in my opinion, um, and so therefore he did. He probably had the least to work with uh, out of all the characters. Carl um, Urban as Bones is fantastic, and I, I think he's been. Uh, people don't tend to talk about him as Bones, uh, but his is as close to a brilliant impression out of all of the characters in my opinion uh, I, I love his and again he's got a bigger part in this film and I'm really pleased about that mm. um, but for me the big stars and it was the same in the original uh, the original reboot film um, Zachary Quinto as Spock is fantastic um, and in this film mu massive improvement on Eric Banner as the main antagonist in the first film. Benedict Cumberbatch as John Harrison is a fantastic villain, in my opinion. Both, of, both Zachary Quinto and Benedict Cumberbatch are playing characters that have got to, to show emotion without showing emotion, mm. and they both do it brilliantly. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, um, Quinto has got the cold logic down to it, you know, and some of the best laughs come from the, the homoerotic bromance between him and Kirk um, and, and his his cold, calculating, logical uh, relentlessness, um, which, again, I think he does brilliantly. But, yeah, you're, you're exactly right, especially with Cumberbatch. They have got to... It, it's a difficult job to ask them to do, to hide their emotions, but still come across as a an engaging screen presence. Hmm. Yeah, uh, but I think he manages it. Uh, th th it's slightly mm. different between what Cumberpatch is asked to do and what uh, yeah. uh, Quinto is asked to do, I think. Uh, yeah. Cumberpatch, mm. is, he is still quite an emotional guy. Uh, he, he kind mm. of um, tethers it a little bit, I suppose, throughout the film. But yeah. he's still, when, you know, when he's um, playing up to the, the villain character in it, I think he, mm. he does it really well. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, he can... He can 
kind of English stage villain Hammett exactly. was the best of them, yeah. I think. Yeah. Proper like menacing, old fashioned kind of sci fi villain. Which is brilliant. That's exactly what yeah. the series needed. I think he's bringing yeah. back the the traditional Hollywood British villain. Yeah, we haven't seen many of them for a good no. few years now. They've been Russian or Chinese yeah. and stuff like that recently. <laughs> he's he's going to be sort of typecast now as, as just British villain in everything. Oh, I hope not. I I I, I hope that people would think he's better than that. Um, but yeah, no, he he was a great great villain, and I think he. One thing that did surprise me actually is he carried off the action, action sequences really well, and I've never really he's never struck me as a kind of physically capable actor. He seems like a tall bloke. Um, but I thought he dealt with the action scene. For, uh, yeah, John Harrison's pretty badass, actually. Um, and that surprised me. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we, we'd all agree that the performances are definitely one of the positives of the film. Um, the script, though. <laughs> um, yes, the script. Fa- famously written by... Uh, I don't know if it's famously written, but as soon as you know it's a Damon Lindelof script, you can't... Now, now, I, you know, we liked Prometheus last year, but there were definitely issues with it. Um, this film suffers probably worse from script problems that, than Prometheus did. Um, some of the character motivations in the film, some of the plot contrivances... It just all felt massively rushed. I don't know what you guys thought. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's full of plot holes all all the way through. And, and, you know, you mentioned Prometheus. You can overlook that a little bit because of what plays through the whole whole film. Mm. Uh, It all eventually kind of works itself out a little bit. You know, you you do have to overlook a few flaws, but in this, they're so glaringly obvious. It's hard to ignore them at times. You just have to hold your head in your hands and think... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that, you can't do that. That just can't happen. This wouldn't happen. I know it's a sci-fi about people flying through space in spaceships, but you know, the, there's a certain element of well, without trying to spoil anything, just certain things yeah. that characters are are doing in the film. It, yeah, uh, yeah, no, I agree. And we will have a spoiler alert after this. You know, just remind everyone we are going to have spoiler alert, and we probably will go into more in-depth mm. uh, discussion about that. But it did. It did let the film down for me. I was having a good time watching it. I, I was enjoying the film. It was a good summary blockbuster. But it felt a bit fluffy, lightweight and flawed in far too many areas for it to, for me to see it as a truly great film. Mm, you, you can I change the laws of script writing, really. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. But, you know, I, I, That's right. I felt the same more way about... That... Sorry, Steve, carry on. More, more of shit like that to come. Um, yeah i was just going to say that i I felt the same way coming out of the cinema about star Mm. trek into darkness as i did with the first film in that i immediately thought yeah that was i was glad i saw it on a big screen you know you've got your serene sound and you know it's it's fantastic experience cinema experience it's proper sci-fi action blockbuster Mm. um but it's kind of a little bit hollow and i think every time i've tried to rewatch the 2009 film, mm. it's always kind of bored me a little bit after 15 minutes. I've always just thought, what did I see in this in the cinema? But in, in Into Darkness, I kind of, as I, as I say, I left the cinema thinking, was that actually a good film? Or have I kind of been mm. a little bit tricked into thinking that was really good because it was so 
you know, because it was the experience of watching it. I don't really. That's that's it, and I think a lot of that comes down to J.J. Abrams' direction, doesn't it? Yeah. It's uh, it is full throttle, mm. um, very fast paced as well, which is great. Hugely fast paced, you know, and it's good to see a summer blockbuster only two hours long. That's always nice to see. I'm yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of that. I don't think there's um, an excuse for a film being over two hours long. Exactly, <laughs> but. What what's happened is he's got all the action that other two and a half hour summer blockbusters have got. He's just cut out half an hour of like quieter quieter scenes where people just take a breather and talk about things. They have, haven't got a love story, really. No. Uh, well, there's kind of Little. it continues Spock Uhura's, uh, and there's a bit of Kirk and a woman, which is very Star Trek. Mm. Um, See him sleeping with. Two aliens at one point, like no. the <laughs> yes. them with yeah. two women with tails. So, yeah, that was that was a nice little touch to the originals. Um, but yeah, what I, I, they just didn't. The film just had one speed, mm. and it was fifth gear, full steam ahead. And in a way, that sometimes helps you ignore the fact that the plot makes no sense because you haven't got time to go back and think about what's just happened. You've just got to keep going forward. Uh, and that that helps in that sense, I suppose. But it, there there were there were moments actually when I like to just sit back and just reflect, see what's happened, and see a bit of character, um, see a bit of character growth. Um, but we didn't really have a lot of time for that because yeah. it was bang bang, spaceship blow up, planet blow, up, yeah, whatever. Lots of stuff blowing up. Um, well, yeah, I mean, if you think about the last big blockbuster that came out the other week, Iron Man three. You know, mm. that was all about the character development. It was still very yeah. fast. It still had some great action scenes in it. It wasn't yeah. just a CGI golf, you know, CGI fest. People were actually um, developed throughout the film. Um, yeah. Compared to this, it didn't really... I mean, they were, they were great characters, you know. It's it's mm. more about the way they interact with each other, I think, yeah. than actually... I mean, everybody knows Kirk, everybody knows Bones, everybody knows Spock, mm. they know what they're about. It's It's that... The way that it's the way they're interacting on screen, which I think is what the film does better mm. than than trying to say this is Kirk how he is at the start of the film and this is Kirk at the end. It's, it's yeah. the same character. Uh, and and again, it's I'm not saying it's bad. It's just very different to what Star Trek has been about historically. You know, Star Trek has been all, Star Trek has always seen itself to be a little bit more intelligent. I know the original series gets a lot of flack for being cheesy but actually there's a you know there's a lot about racism there's a lot about the vietnam war and kind of watergate and stuff going on uh in space essentially in the original series and there is a lot of these deep themes uh and this film kind of touched upon those but you know it hinted at it and then something else would blow up or you know there'd be a high-speed chase and it, it just felt a bit different now you know Obviously, that's what J.J. Abrams does. You know, his Mission Impossible 3 was very much like that. Um, is this going to be... Is, is this a blueprint for how we think he might do the Star Wars films? Because at times, this felt like a Star Wars film, actually. Mm. There's, there's a scene where they're flying a small spaceship through a tiny gap, and you will have seen it in the trailer. That could have been taken directly out of a Star Wars film. It I looks don't even a bit like the Millennium Falcon, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he'd be able to get away with an alternate reality in Star Wars, but Yeah, the, and, and, and to be fair to him, to give him credit, that's it that is one I I'm <coughs> I'm 
I think doing the alternate reality uh, thing right at the start of the reboot was quite clever because it does mean that you have got this idea of um, you don't know actually if these people do survive. Because if you'd just done prequels, you go, well, I know all the all the crew live until the original series, so therefore there's no peril. So I, I think he has been quite clever with that. Mm. Um, and yeah, no, I think he will do that differently. But in terms of the style and in terms of direction... I'm I'm expecting to see Star Wars Episode Seven with a load of lens flare, um, cry so, so much, much lens flare, uh, exposition, any conversations taking place while action is happening all the time, um, and Simon Pegg to be in it. That that's what I'm expecting from Star Wars Episode Seven. It Do you think that's fair? That. Um, I yeah, I I don't. As long as I don't think uh, he's going to do a bad job. As with long Star as it's Wars. not about a fucking trade dispute. Exactly, and I I think pretty much you're definitely not going to get it about a trade dispute with Jedja. My other thing is, is he going to get Lindelof to write that as well? Because again, it won't be about a trade dispute, but it'll probably still make as much sense. Uh, Another thing with the the plot or the or the script, did anyone else think they were trying to throw in too many one-liners and jokes? Um, Sometimes I just felt they were trying to throw in too, like get too many in there, and a couple of times it just got just. Stop because some of them were quite weak. It's just like stop throwing them in there. Just it's not needed. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really get that impression watching it. I suppose now that you mention it, there, there were quite a lot of lines like that. Um, but I didn't. I didn't really feel like that at the time. Maybe it. Maybe I had the woman sat behind me had a fucking irritating laugh, and it's just uh, make that up on that won't have helped. Yeah. yeah. No, I think I was more. And, and we'll get into this in spoiler alert in a minute. I was more concerned, actually, after a while of being hit in the face with the homages and knowing kind of nod, nod, wink, wink to previous Star Wars films. That was what was All Star Trek. starting to... Yeah, God, I've done it. I said I'd do that, <laughs> didn't I? Uh, start, um, yeah, the kind of references to the series, to the films and things like that. After a little while, that started to get a bit wearing. I, I didn't bother me really because I've not seen it. <laughs> it, it like, like we had with um, I can't remember what it was the other week but it just makes more of the Simpsons make more sense to me yeah yes. oh yeah definitely it's another one of those films where yeah uh, well well, one of those series where once you've seen the originals you go oh right okay yeah I've seen that in about five different things what what else can we say about the film really um Without spoiling it, it's a bit different. It's an enjoyable blockbuster, but it's not. It's not perfect. Um, it, it's good fun to go and see. Uh, did you, any of you see it in three D? Because I only saw it in two D. No. Yeah. I, yeah, I did. Okay. Uh, any good? Uh, not really. I mean, it's one. It's, I think <laughs> I've just become immune to it after ten ten yeah. minutes or so. I'll just stop noticing. That's what I always find, and I don't know. I, I haven't worked out if it's because I stopped noticing it or because after ten minutes they just don't bother. Yeah, I've, I've not worked out. I'm just trying. I just don't think I'm going to really care about 3D until they find a way of doing it without me having to wear a pair of glasses. Yeah, <laughs> me. I, I have to wear two pairs of glasses to watch a 3D yeah. film, and it's just really annoying. Yeah, I mean, there was. I suppose some of, some of it looked really good. Actually, thinking about it, the um, the spaceship when it goes into warp speed, that looks really mm. good, and you get the little trail oh. behind it. That was quite. That was done quite well. Yeah, that looked good. But you know, other than that, it's not really noticeable. I heard someone say the lens flare really looks like it's coming off your own glasses. Um, they might be slightly exaggerating. 
Not that not that I've got a desperate need to see JJ Abrams lens flare in 3D, but I mean it, it it's noticeable in that you notice there are scenes that are meant to be 3D. So like things yeah. where you've got um, Kirk and Spock, I don't know whoever it is talking to each other, and yeah. you've got just things in front of them. So like right. so you just think Keep that is supposed to, uh, yeah, yeah, and you just think that is supposed to look good, but it doesn't. It just looks like you've got things in the way. You've not moved your coke can out of the way of the, the camera, but. No, it's not worth seeing in 3D, but it is worth seeing in the cinema, I think. Mm. Uh, well, I think that wraps up this portion of the podcast and this podcast as a whole. Um, obviously, we've got spoiler alert coming up for those of you who have um, seen the film and want to listen to a more in-depth discussion. Uh, or, as one person did with the Iron Man film, listen to spoiler alert even though you've not seen the film and completely ruined <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> Yes. For you. Was that Matt? It was, it was wasn't yeah. it? So, yes, spoiler alert coming up, so don't listen if you don't want the film ruined for you. Um, but, yes, thanks, everyone, for contributing to this podcast, and thanks for listening, and join us next week, where, James, we have a what? Uh, it's the uh, Fast and Furious 6. We're going to see a rock film <laughs> again. I've seen, the, I've seen a, a long trailer for that. I think before um, Star Trek and before Iron Man, we had, like, a yeah. seven-minute long clip Oh my god! The tank on the road scene. Oh okay. Oh, I just need to be quite interested because most of this film seems to be set in London. Yeah, uh, and there's a car that looks like the old um, roadblock from Robot Wars as well. But they've got, they've, <laughs> but they've got like proper English panda cars and that in it. And it's yeah, they're gonna get smashed to shit. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of smashing of cars in the clip I saw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> more more needless deaths than a Rambo film, I think. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes. Um, so that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. But stay with us for spoiler alert if you want to. The Fail Critics Podcast was devised and produced by James Diamond, hosted by Steve Norman, with contributions from Owen Hughes and Jerry McCauley. Music is provided by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. And you can find us at failedcritics.com and on Twitter at, at failedcritics. This spoiler alert, Star Trek Into Darkness, uh, where we will talk about the plot holes, the revelations, the twists, the turns, and everything like that in the film. And probably the best one to start with was the revelation that Benedict Cumberbatch's character of John Harrison isn't actually John Harrison. He is... (gasps) (laughs) Sorry, that was my Shatner impression. (laughs) Yeah, he's Khan. Um, which, to be honest, I think a lot of people suspected before the film anyway. Um, I know IMDb had him listed as Khan. I saw that afterwards. Last week I said, don't read the IMDb page, and yet because IMDb have got him listed as Khan. That's useful. Thanks, guys. Um, or like the biggest film website in the world would be yeah, switched on to something like that. I know. Then there's the fact that... Um, for a lot, for a period of time before Benedict Cumberbatch was cast, a number of Latin American actors were originally up for the part. Basically, it was about four <laughs> different Latin American actors. One of which was Benicio del Toro, who um, dropped out because apparently he was asking for too much money. But you go, all oh, right, they, they're really desperate to get a Latin American actor. Oh, that that's interesting, considering Khan was played by um, Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, there, yeah, there we go. Um, oh, that that's a bit of a weird coincidence. Um, and then the film starts. Okay, I'm just going to reel off a few. Those of you who haven't seen Wrath of Khan, watch it because it's 
brilliant. Um, but something I hadn't. I went into see Into Darkness having not seen Wrath of Khan for uh, Wrath of Khan for at least ten years. Okay, and only having seen it once in my life. So it's not like I'm a uber trekkie or anything like that. Okay, first up, in the first ten minutes, you have got Spock saying the needs of the many uh, outweigh the needs of the few, which is a really famous line from Wrath of Khan. Go, oh, right, that's, that's an interesting nod there. Then it turns out John Harrison is uh, a geneticist. He's a genetic specialist, and he saves um, Noel Clark from uh, Doctor Who's uh, and, and various urban British films. Uh, kid. And you go, oh, right, okay, geneticist, you say. That's quite interesting. Um... At some point, someone actually says that going to, um, is it Kratos? Is that the name Kronos. of the planet? Kronos, yeah. Um, may incur the wrath of the Klingons. And I thought, oh, seriously, now you're just <laughs> actually just trying to crowbar the title in. Um, and then, obviously, the big reveal happens. And then they don't just stop there. They carry on um, essentially remaking that film. Uh, except, oh, they... they switch a few things around it's almost like they went hey you know that bit in wrath of khan where spock climbs into the radiation chamber and and sacrifices himself um let's do that but with kirk instead and let's have spock go khan instead of kirk go khan and it's i was just like seriously this is just it just felt weak it felt like they were cannibalizing a superior film and don't keep reminding me of wrath of khan and I've said this recently when I reviewed Easy A. I'm, uh, I'm annoyed with American teen school comedies that keep referencing The Breakfast Club because they just make me want to watch The Breakfast Club instead. And this film was making me go, God. And, and then I did. The day after I went and watched Wrath of Khan because this film was making me go, Oh, this is quite good. But, oh, God, yeah, Wrath of Khan's brilliant, isn't it? And that, that's well, I suppose, kind of. I suppose a different element in this one is that um, there's two main enemies and one is the, the Starfleet Admiral who is yeah kind of manipulating everything he's manipulated yeah. to an extent before Khan switched off which was which I'll be honest is another one of my issues <laughs> it's the fact that the, I've seen this happen the, the plot was actually really derivative uh, it's like who didn't think that uh, well for a start it's um it's Peter Weller and he only seems to play bad guys in films these days anyways mm. um who didn't think right at the start that, oh, do you know what? I don't really trust him. I think he's probably a bit of a a maniacal person who probably wants to bring war to the galaxy. No real explanation as to why he wants to bring war to the galaxy. It seems like it's probably going to be a lot easier to keep peace with the Klingons rather than start <laughs> in galactic war. I can see the sense in his motives that he wanted to militarise Starfleet because the Klingons were already getting a bit leery and then obviously you had you know, other incidents in the first film. Yeah. But I could understand why that part of it, I couldn't understand why he'd want to actively go and piss off the Klingons. Yeah, that that's it. It's like, you, you want to fire 76 of these missiles into Klingon homeworld. And and then it was like, I, I still don't get why Khan hid his family in torpedoes. I... I, I yeah, that's anyone explain that for as, me? As far as I was concerned, that wasn't explained. That was one of those things that I just thought, why would a character in a film who's trying to protect and rescue his own crew, his old crew, yeah. he wants to keep them? Right, 
Because surely if it's Gambit to the Admiral was, well, you can't find any missiles because my people are in them. He's going, I want to get rid of your people, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, that, they're all like you. I can't that bloody weird. Um, so, yeah, that was odd. Yeah. Uh, that was a bizarre thing. Um, there was the fact that we ended up with two people... F- it's a Star Trek film, and we ended up with essentially two people fighting on top of a train. Uh, can we stop with people fighting on top of trains? And can we stop with villains purposefully getting captured? Um, because that's actually, quite a common... Yeah. That, yeah, that's really... That was actually quite common when Avengers did it. So, a year later, we're still doing... And it's like, oh, do, do you really think that he's just... He's given himself up a bit easily. A bit suspicious, I would be. Yeah. Um, you'd, you'd have probably let him off, though, he had, if he had an insult as good as Mewling Quim. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sadly, oh, what I will say is the, the speech he gives when he's talking about how um, Spock's crew need oxygen and his family don't, and he's going to crawl over their dead body. That actually gave me goosebumps. That was a really damn good speech, uh, and I do want to kind of congratulate them on that. One other thing that I, did, I didn't get, I thought Scotty had been killed. Did anyone else think Khan had killed Scotty? When was that? You know, well, okay, so they're fighting on um, Peter Weller's ship, um, and Khan's like squeezing Scotty's head with his bare hands, oh, yeah. and then Uhura screams, and it cuts, and it's like, oh, oh shit. Have they actually gone and killed him? Oh, I thought, that's quite a brave move. And then he turns up in the transporter absolutely fine. And that, the last time you see him is skull getting squeezed, and then I swear, the next time you see him is he's fine and in the transporter. Did he, did he get his skull squeezed? I was just thinking, are you, what? When yeah. was that? Because um, Uhura never went on to the big... Not, uh, no, I don't mean Uhura, what, sorry. I mean um, Carol, Carol no, she Mark. Was, she was squeezing, he was squeezing her dad's head. Okay, yeah. well, I, I, I thought Scotty was going to no, that, so I misread that. Uh, Scotty put him on, stunned him, and then he got back up and just like, yeah. pushed him and, and knocked him out. Yeah, he punched Scotty and then squeezed Oh, did he punch? Oh, okay, that, the editing was... that. That's where I'm getting old, and J.J. Abrams' editing was too quick for Got me. Got your head in your notebook, James, I think. But Yeah, <laughs> no, that, that, that's exactly what it was. Um, oh, that's okay. Oh, that makes me feel a little bit better then. Um, the, oh, yeah, I, I did like the fact they had a triple in it. That was quite a nice touch to the original series. But then, did you not see the regenerative, regenerative blood oh, so thing coming? As soon as he injected that blood into the triple, you knew that it was it was going to come back somewhere. And then as soon as exactly. that died, you knew, yeah, that's happening. Exactly. So it, and that was it. There was never any moment where you thought, oh, God, this is it. Whereas in Wrath of Khan, fuck, Spock's dead. That, that's what happened. Uh, and yeah, obviously... You know, you know the bit at the end of Wrath of Khan, though? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah. I know the end of he, he. But originally, he's meant to be dead because the only reason Spot um, Leonard Nimoy agreed to do Star Trek Two was if they actually killed off his character, wasn't it? And then they kind of well, just wrote a quick bit at the end so they could bring him back. Well, I watched, I watched Wrath of Khan t- um, with the DVD commentary. Oh on, yes, yes. Uh, with Nicholas Mayer was the director. Yeah, it's such an obnoxious twat, but he makes a few good points about. Um, uh, about Rathacon. he it was his decision, according to him, you know, you don't really know what's going on, to kill off Spock. It was part of his story that he wanted to right. kill Spock. Spock had to die to get his point yeah. across. Which is fair enough, you know. Mm. It, it's his story, that, that's what he wants to do with the character. 
whether it's right or wrong or whether you yeah. think he's got you know the right to do it yeah. whatever this is, it's irrelevant that's what he decided to do the bit at the very end of Wrath of Khan where on the Genesis you know mm. ignited planet yeah. thing and you see his coffin yeah that wasn't his idea he he wanted nothing to do with that uh, and oh. that's why he didn't do Star Trek 3 and why Leonard Nimoy oh, well, directed it that's interesting oh cuz 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 the kind of accepted fact that I've always read is that Nimoy would only come back if they killed off his character, and then he he only came back uh, for three if they let him direct because he wanted it to be uh, true to the Trek. Uh, well, Nicholas Mayer will never know the truth. Yeah. Tr- yeah. <laughs> He's saying that he um, killed off Spock and he wouldn't come back to do three, even though they really uh, begged him, they really wanted him to do it. He wouldn't do it I'm because um, because they wanted to bring I'll, Spock back, and he wouldn't. He said he's dead. Oh. oh, that's quite interesting. I'll, look, I'll need to look more into that. Um, oh, there was one other moment I liked where um, there's two random people going down on a landing party and Kirk tells them to lose the red shirts. That was... Yeah. I, I, see, that I don't mind. That's what I wanted, actually. I wanted those knowing tributes. Yeah. You know, the fact that there was a triple... That was great. And then they went, right, let's just lift entire parts of Wrath of Khan. That's when I got annoyed. We, I had, we had a Vulcan death grip in this one. Did we have one in the last one? I can't remember. I think he did use one in the last one. Did he use it on Kirk? I think he did. Yeah. <laughs> if I remember correctly, yeah. Um, so yeah, Vulcan death grip, always good to see as well. Um, and it, it sounds like I'm massively down on the film, actually, I realise. But it, it's I, one, I, it's, I did enjoy it. It's one of the films that you can enjoy in spite of the plot holes. Yeah, yeah, whereas because I love the performances, it w- it was worth it for the performances, and I'd actually watch it again, and I do think it was better than the last one. I just also think it's a massive missed opportunity, um, and it's just not. As- when I first saw the trailer, I got genuinely really excited about it, and it's it failed to live up to those expectations. I'm, I'm also a big fan of of Kirk being a big fan of the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Because obviously, in the first film, the first scene you see with him on that bike, he's playing the Beastie Boys, and then when he, yeah. in this one, when he's shagging two girls with tails, Beastie Boys yeah. playing. Yeah, I've, old school. I've got a lot of time for a man who's a who's a fan of the Beastie Boys, as as well as being a, a starship captain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I interesting. Well, I was just going to say about the point of um, it drawing a lot of references from from Rafa mm. Khan. It, it kind of, I think it kind of walks that line. I watched Star Trek Wrath of Khan before, the day before going to see it in mm. Darkness. I know you said you watched it straight after. I kind of yeah. had a little, I, I, my opinion differs slightly in that I think that some of the references were done quite well. It wasn't subtle, it was never subtle in its references, mm. but I think it was worked quite cleverly into the script, especially if you take Steve's point from earlier about how um, it's a separate universe that's that's mm. acknowledged as being alongside the original yeah, series. Because obviously you've got the uh, original Spock still in it, because Spock yeah. tells original Spock, and he come from the alternate universe, so from the last thing Spock done after doing all of these adventures with the Enterprise, was mm. try and say Romulan, mm. or mm. world's called, and didn't, but then went back through this wormhole into this universe. Yeah. So that got created. So the, in in the alternate reality... So in this Star Wars universe, uh, Star Trek universe, in an alternate reality though, the Wrath of Khan still happened. This is yes. just a different- oh yeah yeah no no I, and and yeah it makes sense that Khan would turn up in this universe I've, and uh, like I said I've got no issue with them using Khan I've got no issue because uh, I really liked 
Benedict Cumberbatch's yeah. Khan. I thought he was great, uh, and I love you know I like the fact that he's not dead. I mean, we might see him again. I've got no issue. Keep that open. Uh, I've got no problem with that. I th- my my problem is, did we have to have um, Kirk die basically shot for shot? No, no, that's an exaggeration. But in exactly the same way that Spock did, and do we have to have their hands on the glass? That just felt a little bit cheap to me, uh, that they did it exactly, almost like they couldn't think of a better way of showing that, that sacrifice, yeah, but they just copied it. I think that there is a case to be made that a lot of the people going to see this film and the previous film, they won't have seen the original films, you know. Oh, no, they're, no, they're no, I, I bet most people fans, didn't. But yeah. You know, they're, they're still not really that big of... Um, another, you know, another, plot, another plot hole, why did they need... Um, Khan alive to get his blood when they had like 70 people who were like genetically modified like Khan that they could have popped the blood off from. Uh, yeah, I didn't even that spot that one. didn't occur that's to me, but one. that's right. And, and, and <laughs> like just killed the absolute mental tyrant and just got like one of the ones who were already in a cryo tube and yeah. Because isn't that what Khan is in the in the in Wrath of Khan? And then he's in a, what he starts off in an episode, the original series, doesn't he's he? In the he's, series, uh, and Sam Seed, it, yeah. Isn't he like a, a genetically modified human who yeah. ends up leaving Earth with a load of people going in space? And then, he's a superior human, yeah. And then Kirk ends up exiling him onto some planet yeah. with, his, with his lot, and then he comes back in Wrath of Khan. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah, summed that's up very exactly well. Right. <laughs> yes, he does. Did you notice in Wrath of Khan they don't actually, they're never in each other's physical presence. They only ever talk yeah. over communications. Yeah, it's that's nice. quite a nice touch. I like that. <laughs> you can still be an no. actual threat where they're actually physically threatening him, which is good. Yeah, yeah, makes him yeah. such a great villain. Uh, any more plot holes before we go on? I can't think of... Uh, uh, it wasn't a plot hole. I just Again, there was a bit of repetitive, lazy script writing where I'm sure, right near the end, they beam... Sp- they go, oh, can you transport Khan back up here? And they go, no, but we can get someone down there. And so they beam Spock down there. And then Spock and Khan are fighting on the train. And then Uhura says, um, can you beam them up? And they go, no, no, can't go. Right, well, can you beam someone down now? And it's just like, this is the exact same conversation you had ten minutes ago. <laughs> That's just really lazy script writing, in my opinion. Well, maybe she's just a thick woman. Yeah, maybe she didn't listen. I'm not going to say a thick woman. I'm just saying maybe she didn't hear. Maybe she's got bad hearing. I mean, Steve, Steve the sexist. <sighs> Isn't she a navigator on a, on a starship? That's a bad move. Oh my god. Women are mad, so I don't put them in charge. <laughs> Gene Roddenberry, right? Gene Roddenberry, the guy who originally created Star Trek, he yeah. um, wanted Star Trek to be this kind of utopian society and everyone's treated equally. First thing he does is, you know, he introduces, all, it was a very brave move. He got uh, Ahura on there, who's this, you know, um, Swahili, I think she's Swahili, mm. or whatever, you know, whatever they are when you're from Swahili. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he decided that he was going to make her just on the comms she's just like the, the yeah. telephonist yeah she's essentially the receptionist she's receptionist for, yeah for, for the, the bridge like yeah. one for <laughs> feminism <laughs> oh bless and there's the uniforms as well for the women uniforms and there's Not, a, yeah. one of the other women on the crew is, just carries around a handbag with her it's how really... are they practical for space them women's uniforms uh, <laughs> Yeah, especially in zero gravity. Yeah. It's, a, it's a disaster waiting to happen. Well, they're very tight skirts. I don't think they go in anywhere. 
Oh, anyway, we've probably ended this podcast in traditional fashion <laughs> by offending yeah. races and genders across the board. Yeah. So we best end it. Jerry wasn't even here either. No. Can't even blame Jerry. We can try. <laughs> anyway, that's all for this week for Definite Now. Uh, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.